We're going to look at two passages of Scripture. One's in 1 Corinthians. The second one's in 2 Corinthians. Obviously, we have no screens out here this morning. But if you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, the words are on about the third page inside, uh, inside the bulletin that we've handed you this morning. So we're going to read God's Word, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, and then we're going to read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. Hear the Word of God. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And then going over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and following. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was, recording, uh, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray together for just a moment. Father, I thank you for uh, the opportunity to study your word this morning. Thank you for the songs of praise, Hosanna, and remembering the, the glory and the beauty that is Jesus. Uh, praying as we sang, you know, here am I, Lord, send me. And, and that's a fearful thought, uh, that we would go and be a representative of Christ. So, Father, we, we can't do that on our own strength. We neither are inclined to praise you, nor are we inclined to uh, share you with others uh, in our own wisdom, in our own power. But, Father, you have called us, you have redeemed us, as we're going to see in a few moments in this passage. You have done all the work of salvation. We are simply recipients. So, Lord, I pray that you would teach us. You would remind us of our condition apart from Christ. Teach us once again of the identity that we have in him. And then, Father, may we respond by committing ourselves anew to, to his glory and to the growth of his kingdom. Father, forgive me for my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of what you want to teach us this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was noticing as we were kind of setting up outside this morning that uh, in each service now, you know, we're Presbyterians, even though we don't talk about that a lot. Presbyterians are very uh, habitual kind of people. When we form habits, we kind of we kind of stick with them all the time. So even though we've only been here a little while, there's a group of folks that have now started pretty regularly you know, sitting outside every Sunday if the weather's nice and, and having their chairs here and looking inside. And I saw some of the looks on their faces as you all who don't sit out here normally were setting up and it was like, well, there goes the neighborhood. 
And uh, don't worry if you're an outsider, we'll, we'll get out of your way. Next Sunday, we'll, we'll move back inside and we'll, we'll leave you in peace. Uh, but as, as Christians, and we, as we consider the notion of, of living it up in a life to the fullest, how do we live in the world where when, when people see us walking down the street, they don't say, well, there goes the neighborhood. You know, there come those, those really self-righteous, arrogant people who are just going to tell me everything I've ever done is wrong, and they're going to tell me how they get to go to heaven, and I don't get to go to heaven, and they're going to look down their noses at me, and, and it's just really going to be kind of a, a, a crummy uh, relationship. How do we move in a radically different direction than that? Because now people can find... Now, you know, you, you can see this building from the street, and we have people literally dropping in still... Uh, every week for certain, and, and sometimes during the week, every day, someone will stop by and want to look around and, and want to see the building. When they find out it's a place where Jesus' disciples gather, what's their reaction? We have a responsibility to them as followers of Christ to live in a way that reflects who we truly are, that we live in a way that really reflects a, a, a mature and appropriate understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So therefore, the, the sermon in a sentence, again, you can't put it on the screen this morning, but uh, I'll, I'll really focus in on the three key words. The sermon in a sentence is this, let's remember our old condition apart from Christ and our, and our new identity in Christ in order to renew our commitment to Christ. So we want to talk about our old condition, our new identity, and then our commitment moving forward. Let's start with our condition apart from Christ. Paul gives this, this, this staunch, uh, difficult list of, of sins in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and when you read it, you just kind of want to recoil just a little bit, but, but Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, loves us enough to tell us the truth. And he starts out with kind of an umbrella big picture statement in verse 9. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he says, don't be deceived, neither the, and then he gives a list. Now, this list is not inclusive, it's not everybody, uh, but it certainly is representative of the lives that we live that can separate us from God, lives of rebellion against God. So he gives us like sexual immorality, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, none of those folks will inherit the kingdom of God. Our condition apart from Christ is bleak. It is, it, is, it is filled with uh, sinfulness, but it's also leading to a destructive end. And then Paul says this. He says in verse 11, And such were some of you. Now, i, I got to tell you, I think there Paul was actually being polite. I think Paul was actually trying to ease folks into this conversation. Because what he certainly could have said, And such were all of us, Right? But I think he's challenging the Corinthians to actually consider the list and see if they find themselves there in their natural condition. To see if they wouldn't look at this list and say, I might not be, every one of these words might not define me, but certainly several of them do, or one or two of them do. I think when Paul says, such were some of you, he was giving us a chance to embrace this truth for ourselves and not trying to shove it down our throats. But if I look at that list this morning, I can certainly see much of that sin in my own life. That describes the condition of Tom Ricks apart from Jesus. And the big picture is that word unrighteous, meaning I'm not right with God. I'm actually living as an enemy of God. 
It's not that I kind of hold God off at a distance and I kind of like him a little bit and I'll, I'll kind of hang out with him on Sunday and spend a little time with him. But other than that, we're just kind of casual acquaintances. We're not really good friends. No. Apart from Christ, I want nothing to do with God. I want to get as far away from God as I possibly can. I don't want God speaking into my life. I want to control my life and I have no use for him whatsoever. In fact, I have animosity towards him. He is my enemy. And Paul says if we're going to deal with the big picture, we need to understand that the word that defines us best apart from Christ is unrighteous. And so the rest of the list is simply the resulting action of the condition. How do I live when I'm, when I'm apart from Christ, when God is my enemy? How do I fight against him? Well, I fight against him with expressions of sexuality that are unhealthy and hurtful, and not the, not the sexual expression that God gave as a gift when he created us, man and woman. I worship in a way that doesn't acknowledge him. I actually become an idolater. I actually worship everything but God. I worship my money. I worship my standing in the community. I worship my career choices and my, my career goals. I worship my kids. I worship, uh, I won't say parents. I don't know how many kids are worshiping their parents. It's a nice thought that my children might worship me someday. Um, but, I, but I worship pretty much everything else. Besides God, that's how an enemy of God lives. That's my natural condition. Instead of being a person who's filled with generosity, I'm filled with, with greed. I don't mind kind of actually stealing a little bit from others because it helps me get ahead. It makes me feel more secure. When I should be joyous in spirit, simply because of being in a relationship with God, when I'm apart from Him, I'll settle for simply numbing myself through intoxication. So as I look at this list, I see it's simply the resulting action of unrighteousness. And all of this activity has one thing in common. There's a common denominator in every one of these activities, right? It makes it all about me. It puts me at the center of the universe. When I express myself sexually in a way that's harmful to others, in a way where I'm using other people for my gratification, that's me-centered. When I, when I am greedy, I, I'm not greedy so I can give, help give my money to Scott. Scott, I'm going to be really greedy so I can give it all to you, right? And he's like, okay, that, that works out for him, right? No, that thought never crosses my mind. It's all about me. When I worship something, I worship it because I think that's what's going to make me feel the best. You're nowhere in the equation, which is why we have human brokenness in this world. It's why relationships are broken. It's why cities are fractured. It's why states are, 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 are fractured. It's why countries are at war with one another. It's why people that live in one side of Kirkwood don't necessarily know the people that live in another side of Kirkwood because when we aren't in a right relationship with God, we're living for ourselves and we simply don't care for others. Now, we might not want to say it that way. We might want to put some polite words on it, like, well, you know, I live in an area that's different than other folks, and I just don't get to that side of town very often. That's a nice way to say it. It's a nice way to say that I'm an enemy of God, and I don't care about, about racial reconciliation in my community because it's all about me, and that doesn't serve me any good purpose. That would be the honest way to say it. And, I, and right now, I know some of us are like, oh, that doesn't feel very good. Well, sometimes God's truth penetrates our hearts in a way that needs to make us a bit uncomfortable. And Paul loves us enough to tell us the truth. And ultimately, he says, not only do we have in common that it's all about living for me, but we also end up estranged from God forever. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He repeats it again at the end of, uh, of verse 10 when he talks about all this list. He says, these folks will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I can live for me. I can certainly do that. I went uh, online this week and I looked up some quotes about uh, how, I, how I express myself when I want to live for me. And I found one that I 
I thought fit me pretty good. I am who I am. If you don't like me for who I am, I don't care. I live for me. If you're not my friend, the world will not come to a screeching halt. If you don't like me, then just move along. That describes Tom Ricks apart from Christ. But the end result is that I'm actually estranged from God. But as disciples of Jesus, brothers and sisters, we need to remember our condition apart from Christ. We can't just skip ahead quickly to what Christ has done for us. We're going to go next and look at our identity. We have to start with the truth of who we are apart from Christ. It is only when we understand that we can truly embrace and rejoice the second word, which is our new identity that is found in in verse 11. And such were some of you, but Paul says, here's what happens. You were washed. Wind blew my page. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. What Paul is saying is that we are recipients of grace. Paul doesn't say you washed yourself. Paul doesn't say you're now that you're a follower of Jesus, you're sanctifying yourself. Paul doesn't say that that when you came to know Christ, you justified yourself. You made yourself right with God. Paul paints the picture very clearly and very honestly that God did all of that work. We are passive and God is active in salvation. You say, Tom, what did I bring to my salvation? What was my part? Your part was the same as my part. We brought our sin. We brought our ugliness. We brought our, brought our brokenness. That's what we bring to the equation. We don't bring an effort to reach out to God and then he sees our effort and reaches down to us. Rather, we are loved through someone else's work on our behalf. We are cleaned from the stain of sin. That's what Paul's saying. You're washed. That that stain is gone. Now my soul longs to work in union with God and in union with the Holy Spirit. That's that's that process of sanctification. Now that I want to be more like Jesus, that comes from the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. He is the one who is sanctifying me. And I'm free from the condemnation that the law demanded. That's justification. Justification means, it's a legal term that means you're made right. In fact, if you go to the very last verse of of chapter 5 of of, uh, 2 Corinthians, the second passage we're going to look at, Paul puts it this way in verse 21, for our sake, put your name in there, for Tom's sake, put your name in there, right? What happened? God made Jesus to be sin. Even though Jesus knew no sin, that in Jesus, Tom might become the righteousness of God. That's what God has done for us. He has justified us. Jesus took our place on the cross, but after he took our place on the cross, he gives us our perfection, or his perfection, so that we're now identified with him. So if you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, when God looks at you, he sees the perfection of his son. You say, Tom, I didn't live that way all week. I messed up this week. I lived that way sometimes, but other times it didn't look like I was a Christian at all, but you're justified. That's your condition before God. Now your life is changing. Your heart is being shaped more to reflect Jesus. But as you stand before God, as I stand before God, through faith in Christ, he sees us as his children. He sees us just as if he sees Jesus. And this is all done on our behalf. We didn't lift a finger to accomplish this. So we were out to dinner last night with, uh, with some friends, with another couple who would invite us out to, to join them for dinner. We went out and had a wonderful dinner. 
and about two-thirds of the way through the dinner, somebody came up to our table and said, uh, a friend of yours, a mutual friend of the four of us, he, uh, he's paying for your dinner. And later on, when the, uh, when the server came back, we, did he get the tip too? The, yes, everything is taken care of. He's paid for everything. What was our initial response when we heard that good news? Let's have more. <laughs> right? Bring that wine list back over here. Wait, forget that $22 bottle of wine. Let me take, a, let me take another, another run at that one. What's that dessert menu? We'd like, we'd like four at the table and, and four to go, if you don't mind. Now, we really didn't do that, but that was the initial reaction. Is, wow, somebody else is paying. It's free. Isn't this great, right? What's our reaction to what God has done on our behalf? It's free. Give me some more. Let me have more of that grace. Let me have more of that compassion. Let me have more of that, that washing, that stain away. Let me have more of that, that work of sanctification in my life so maybe God could use my life to point somebody else to the Lord Jesus. And, and so what happens is my pride is replaced with humility. My anger is replaced with compassion. Instead of being self-absorbed, I begin to open up my hands and become generous. And, and as a result, people begin to get a glimpse of the generosity of God. Instead of being a person who is divisive and antagonistic, I become a unifying force within the kingdom of God and within my greater community. I say, no, no, no. We're not going to settle for being separated by things like money or things like color. That's not the kingdom of God. There's so much more joy. There's so much more fulfillment. We're, we're not going to be satisfied with gossiping about other and backbiting with others. We're going to lift each other up. We're going to speak the truth and love to one another. Give me more of the gospel. Give me more of the presence of God in my life. Which leads to the third question is, are we going to live in our new identity? Are we going to, to renew our commitment to Christ? That's where Paul takes us in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. And he talks about this work that God has been doing in our lives. And he starts off in verse 16 and 17 by saying, there's a new way of thinking. If you go over to, to 2 Corinthians 5, he says, from now on then, from now on, now that I'm a, a disciple of Jesus, right? We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Paul says, I have a new way of thinking. And that term, according to the flesh, he says, we don't regard anybody according to the flesh. We don't regard Jesus according to the flesh. What, what's he saying there? He's taking us back to that notion we, we've already looked at, that unrighteous condition where it was all about us, right? So Paul says, when I think in the flesh, I reject Jesus as my Lord. That's step one. And then step two is I make it all about me and I don't care about you and I'm hurtful and I'm selfish, right? And Paul says that's how we used to think. We used to regard Jesus as an enemy, but we don't anymore. He's now a friend. We don't regard anybody as an old creation. We now, we now look at people the way God wants us to look at people, filled with potential and filled with, with grace and filled with love and filled with compassion. That's how we want to approach our human relationship. Paul says the thinking has shifted and it's shifted in a radical nature. We no longer reject Jesus and put ourselves at the center. Now as followers of Christ, we're, we're celebrating this new creation, this God-given life. And notice again, we're passive. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. How, do you, how are you in Christ? He brings you to himself. He pays the price for your sins on the cross. He dies for you and for me. He's resurrected to new life as God's stamp of approval that his sacrifice has been accepted. And then through the Holy Spirit and through the word of God, he says, come on, let you and me 
get real, real tight. How about you and me spend our lives together? And how about we spend all of eternity together? Because that's the kind of love that God has for us. So Paul says that truth has radically changed the way we think. But it also leads to a new way of living. Look at verses 18 and 19, right? All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And then look at the the, the change now of life and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. In other words, this new way of living is not for me. It's living for others. This ministry of reconciliation, this ministry of of balancing the books, where we're out of whack with God, but through Christ, things can be made right. We can come into a love relationship with him. And God now says to Paul in, in 2 Corinthians, and he says to you and me this morning, if we're Jesus' disciples, this is the ministry I give you. In other words, the gospel just doesn't come in to change your heart and to give you a confidence in your salvation and that you can kind of put your feet up and say, man, this is great. I just can't wait to get home. <laughs> this is really a wonderful taste of it, but I, I can't wait for heaven. And boy, I sure hope a bunch of other people make it. Wouldn't it be nice if, if Uncle George were in heaven too? He doesn't know anything about Jesus, but wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be awesome if my boss actually heard the gospel? I, I certainly hope that somebody who knows Jesus will go and talk to him, but I'm just going to kind of hang out. No, what happens is we understand that our identity leads to a commitment. And that commitment is not to go around and tell everybody how bad they are. Let me say that again. A commitment is not to go around and tell everybody how bad they are. It's a commitment to go tell everybody how much God loves them. They know how bad they are. When they're honest with themselves at 2 o'clock in the morning, just like you and I have those moments where you got to go, man, I just don't like what's in my heart. People know that. We don't need to judge people. We need to point people to Jesus' love. And they're going to ask the question, how? Eventually, they're going to say, how could God love somebody like me? Bingo. <laughs> Let me tell you, because I'm just like you. Let me take you to 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and show you the kind of person that I am apart from Christ. But guess what? Let me show you what God's done. And we begin this ministry of reconciliation. We are God's representatives according to verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So Paul understands this. He understands that, that God has called them to this ministry of reconciliation. And so he says that, that God is making his appeal through us. Therefore, he now he goes to, to the, the second person, including his fellow compatriots, right? And he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's the ministry of Green Tree Community Church right there in a sentence. All that we do, everything we are, Happy anniversary one year, and and Lord willing, for the next however many years until Jesus comes back. Hopefully long after you and I are are, are long gone because God's laid a foundation through us. That Green Tree Community Church would be this sentence. We implore you, through Christ, be reconciled to God. It's a message. You have kids in Sunday school this morning. That's the message they're hearing. If you're in in our small group ministry, that's the type of message you hear. If you, if you go to a Sunday school class, that's what you're hearing. You're hearing all about the ministry of reconciliation. And Paul uses wonderful, colorful language here. He says, we are ambassadors. We are official representatives of God. I read a story recently about a, a man who was convicted of a crime in Spain in the 1890s. 
and who was wrongly accused, and it went all the way to the ambassador of the United States, who the ambassador to Spain, and the ambassador reached out to the judge, and, they, and he wouldn't overturn the conviction. On the day that he was going to be, have to start his sentence, the ambassador showed up with an American flag, and he draped it over the man. And he said, if you do, whatever you do to him, you do to the United States of America. Right? Well, that's a whole different story. Right? We are ambassadors. We say, you, you want to know what it's like to be in a relationship with God? Look at us. We represent him. That ought to make us a praying people as well. That ought to make us call on the name of the Lord to give us his grace that we would represent him well. But we're also motivated by his mercy. Look at Paul's language. He doesn't say, hey, let me, let me invite you to put your faith in Jesus, right? He says, I'm begging you. I am pleading with you. I implore you. Come to Christ for salvation. Trust in him. Be reconciled to God. The emotion that's attached to Paul's message is astounding. And, and, and it's the message of the gospel. Be reconciled. We're, we're happy that people come to Green Tree. Some of you have found Green Tree in the last year. We're, we're thrilled you're here, but it's not about Green Tree. It's, it's not about people coming to Green Tree. It's about people being reconciled to God. If, if they end up at Green Tree, that's wonderful. But it's why we gather every Sunday, if you stop and think about it. And I, and I intentionally wanted to be outside today so that we could actually just look at the building and not be inside it. And just have that visual in our minds and be reminded, we come together here to embrace who we were, or to remember who we were, right? And to embrace who we are. That's the worship of God. That's why we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ every Sunday. To be reminded of who we were apart from God, apart from Christ, and to remember that we've been reconciled to God. And the net result of that is worship, it's singing, it's praying, it's studying God's word. It's, it's all the things that we do on Sunday morning. But then what do we do? We leave, we, we go. And that's the other reason why I want to be outside. I want you to look around. We go that way and we go that way. We go that way. We go that way. God scatters us into the world. Why? Because he wants us to be his messengers of reconciliation. Yes, he's given us employment. Yes, he's given us families. Yes, he's given us schools to go to. He's, that's the context of our lives, absolutely. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's because he wants us to represent him in this community. And so uh, I wanted to give you an anniversary gift this morning. It's not a clock, so you don't have to worry about that. But I wanted to turn your attention to a very practical matter that Green Tree hopefully wants to, uh, we do want to tackle, whether God will uh, give us the grace to do so or not still remains to be seen. But I've been talking for uh, the better part of the last year and even a little bit before that about why God gave us this particular piece of property. Why, uh, when we first bought, you know, on the north end of Kirkwood, he moved us to the south end of Kirkwood and why he put us in a neighborhood that looks different than uh, our church looks today, socioeconomically as well as racially. And I believe it's because God wants Green Tree to be involved in making a difference through the gospel in this question of, of biblical justice and mercy. And so a few months ago, I asked a couple of people in our congregation if they'd be willing to lead a team that would begin to explore how we do that. And, and they've been doing a lot of research and a lot of prayer and having a lot of conversations. And, you know, if this is the road that we're going to travel, we've gone about, about this far, okay? We're just barely getting started. But we have a chance, brothers and sisters, to, to make a difference in this community and beyond. We could say, this is how Christians engage in this question. 
This is how people who, who passionately love Jesus because he first loved them, because they remember who they were and they're so grateful for who they are, they're compelled to be reconcilers in everything that that word means. So Sharon and Anthony, if you guys will start coming up here, my gift to you is two of the people that are leading this team having a couple minutes each to talk to you about what God's doing in their heart uh, and what they believe perhaps God is going to be doing through Green Tree and the rest of us. Uh, and when they're done sharing, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to come to the Lord's table. And this will be a great segue into, the, into the, the, the celebration of the Lord's Supper because we're talking about reconciliation, and the table of Jesus is a table of reconciliation. Okay, well, happy anniversary here at uh, our beautiful home. Um, one of our guiding uh, Bible uh, scriptures is Isaiah 1, 15 through 17. It says, when you spread out your hands in prayer... I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrongs. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take the cause of the fatherless. And plead the case of the widow. The Bible is very serious about biblical justice and mercy. And about us pursuing biblical justice and mercy. Many of you know that one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of the woman at the well. Uh, it's the story of an, a, a woman that was forgotten about, that probably went to this well every day by herself. Nobody else met with her. She was somebody that was kind of an outcast. People didn't necessarily want to be around. And yet, this uh, man, this God-man, Jesus, met her at this well. It says that he had to go there. He stayed and he waited for her to get there. And they engaged in this great conversation. He wanted to drink from her cup. It's a remarkable story if you've never uh, read it. It's John 4. But it's amazing that after their engaging conversation, it says that she just went. She left her water jar. And she went to tell the story to get people to come see about this man. The thing that I'm learning and have learned is that that is a story of my life. Somebody deciding to get proximate. I'm from North St. Louis City. There was nothing desirable or amazing about me, but there were people from this community in this area that had power, position, and influence that decided to come get me to tell me about a man. I ate at their home. I had food at their table. Uh, they taught me the scripture. Um, and most importantly, they, taught, they, they provided an opportunity to pay for me to go to camp to learn the greatest love story ever told, the story of Jesus Christ. Um, so they got proximate with me. Um, and I call on us to consider the same thing. Rich and I have learned a lot about justice and about our region in the last two years, but I come to these issues from another perspective as well. The gospel calls us as believers to care for the widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor. We all have a story, and this is mine. My early life was spent on a farm without running water. My father died when I was nine. I was raised by a widow who worked at a shoe factory and made $6,700 a year. It was hard. When I was in high school, I passionately wanted a college education. My mother and I didn't know anything about that process. I was one of six for my school that was awarded a scholarship to the University of Missouri and the guidance counselor decided that three of those six were college material and helped them. I was not one of those three. 
So I missed the deadline. I didn't receive any financial aid, and that made it harder. I later discovered when my mom paid my tuition, she had $10 left. Systemic injustice is real. It can be what is written into policies and laws, but it can also be the assumptions that people in positions of power make that can make it easier or more difficult or nearly impossible for someone to rise. In my mother, if my mother and I had been black or had the additional barriers of being stuck in a failing school district, had no access to adequate health care while living in an unsafe neighborhood, it would have been much, much harder. Our culture makes assumptions about appearance and circumstances. In my case, about a child of a widow and a 60-year-old woman who lives a very comfortable life in Kirkwood. <laughs> Many of those assumptions are wrong. Jesus, my savior, saw that nine-year-old kid, that aspiring college student, and this 60-year-old woman for exactly who I am. The hope of the Biblical Justice and Mercy team for Green Tree as a church and for us individually is that we will look around us and look at people the way Jesus does. That we will have a hunger not a duty for biblical social justice and mercy in our culture. That we will apply a gospel lens to every issue in our lives, not a lens that's based on cultural, political, social, or economic perspectives. This is where we must start to answer two questions. What can I do and why should I do it? Okay, and really quick, as we move forward together into pursuing biblical justice and mercy, we do so fighting indifference and passivity. And all of us have dealt with indifference and passivity, and specifically in this area. So as individuals, we ask that you take a walk with us as we go into this new endeavor to be more like Jesus Christ and to get away from individualism and traditionalism. The things that we do over and over. And I'm a big example. I like to sit in that same seat. Uh, I'm doing a Sunday school class downstairs with our group. We invite you. There's one going on now. There's another one uh, next Sunday. And it's difficult for me. It's a new thing because I've never, ever gone to Sunday school. I love going to service. I'm a creature of habit. So we ask that you take this walk with us and that we work together to pursue um, a posture of being the learner to stop assuming, but to ask questions, to talk to those that are different and ask them why they believe what they believe. Turn off the hate and the foolishness that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And let's ask, what would he have us do in this opportunity that we find ourselves? We love you, and we can't wait to pursue this endeavor with you. We still have capacity for the study of Tim Keller's Generous Justice and the accompanying study with it, and we hope you'll think about signing up. You can sign up online. You can sign up at the table in the hallway. Oh, that, you see right back there, and then I want the two of you to go stand right smack dab in the middle, okay, right by Dale and Sherry. All right. 
And if you're so inclined and you want to uh, go get around them, we're going to pray for this, and we're going to pray for our entire church. So uh, anybody would like to keep going, get a little more in the middle. There you go. All right. Lay some hands on them. And as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table, let's pray together. Father God, we are uh, to be used by you for reconciliation. We are not the authors of reconciliation. It's what you have done for us in Christ. We were your enemies and you loved us anyway. You redeemed us, you called us, you gave us new life through your word and the Holy Spirit. And now you call us to a commitment to go and to help create and further the kingdom of God through all that we do. So, Father, this particular issue is crucial to our community. And so on this first anniversary, we want to celebrate what you have done this last year. We want to rejoice that you've given us a home. But, Father, we also want to acknowledge that there's so much more to do. And we pray that your spirit and your word would lead us in this. We pray for Anthony. We pray for Sharon and for their team. We thank you for the courage that they have to follow you in this and to help us understand how we follow you. And we pray, Lord Jesus, as we come to this table, we would remember your sacrifice and that that would motivate us to be ambassadors who implore the world through our words and through our actions, be reconciled to God through Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for sharing with us. We've never done communion outside before, so this is going to be fun. Uh, in just a couple of minutes, we have nine different servers. And servers, you can go ahead and start heading to the tables if you would. We have nine different servers, and they're going to spread out all over the lawn. Okay, they're going to just make they're going to make sure that every section has a server close by. So you all may go ahead and 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 take the elements and begin to move around to kind of make sure that you're away from each other. Uh, and in just a moment, we're going to invite you to. Go to the server who's closest to you. We invite you to take the bread, and the, the gluten-free is underneath the kind of underneath the white uh, uh, napkin. Dip that in the cup, and then and then take uh, communion. Uh, where are y'all are too close? You guys got to spread out a little bit, Sarah. And or got yeah. We want people to have somebody close to all of them. Um, and then you'll partake it in communion right there. Uh, and so when it's time, we invite you to look around and see who's closest, and go there. We want to remind you, this is not Green Tree's table. This is not Presbyterian. This is the Lord Jesus' table. And we invite you in his name to come to his table. If you're seeking or you're wondering, or you're not sure about faith, you, you, you haven't put your faith in Christ yet, please don't feel compelled to, to do something kind of religious because you're in church this morning. Uh, the, the sacrament will be of no value to you. Uh, but for all of you who have put your faith in Christ, he's your Lord, he's your Savior. We're going to invite you to come to his table. Will you pray with me? Father, we now set aside these elements uh, that you have given us for our physical nourishment, this cup and this, and this bread, uh, and we place it into your hands, and we pray that you would nourish your people through our celebration of the Lord's Supper. Lord Jesus, we, we don't quite fathom it, but we understand that you are, uh, are not physically present in these elements, but you are spiritually present, and your presence nourishes your people. So we come humbly, we come confessing our sins. We come asking that you would renew our hearts again as we celebrate 
communion this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body. And afterwards, he took the cup, and when he poured it, he passed it to his disciples, and he said, this cup represents the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for the remission of sins. All of you drink from it, because as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to come to his table.